Good to be here. And we are uh, actually in the book of Mark. And if you looked at your bulletin, you probably noticed we uh, skipped right to the book of Matthew. We're moving right along, right? Matthew, Mark, eh, what's the difference, right? Anyway, sorry about that. That's a... I don't know if that's a typo or what do you call that one? I don't think that's a typo. It's a brain cramp. Anyway, we are in Mark to keep from being more confused here. And we happen to be in the selection of the parables. And the reason we say uh, selection here is that Mark could have chosen from many, many, many parables that Jesus used. And we know if you look in Matthew, you'll see a lot more parables there. So that's probably why I was thinking, if I can go to Matthew, I can find a lot more there, especially in Matthew 13. But actually, Mark, in the way that he's writing, we know that he has been recording the activities, the actions of Jesus. It's very immediate. Everything is moving, and it's going from one story to another very quickly. And he doesn't concentrate too many times on discourses or um, actually messages that Jesus gave. But occasionally he will. And when he does, you can imagine this is supremely important, isn't it? That Mark would bring this out. Um, uh, to all the Gospel writers, of course, that, uh, that's a valuable thing as um, Jesus used a great tool, um, excellent teaching tools that Jesus used in, in parables and, of course, Mark taking these and then choosing the ones by the Holy Spirit who's inspiring him to put these particular ones in here. They're very um, quick. And uh, then we'll move back into action in, in the next chapter. Um, actually, by the end of this chapter. We're not going to close out the chapter today, of course. But when we get into parables, what we're talking about comparisons really is what they are. You can imagine uh, the word parable, pair, right? Parallel to go alongside. Comparisons to throw something down uh, that would be comparing with something else, with with another thing. People are familiar with these kind of uh, parables, these stories. And so when Jesus would bring out these kind of illustrations, uh, it would be something for them to kind of latch hold of and maybe uh, be able to understand. So they're very helpful to people. And I think that there are people who have an interest in what Jesus is teaching. There are many, many other ones who really don't have an interest in what Jesus is teaching as far as eternal truths are concerned. They're either there to um, take in the miracles and all the sights and sounds that are going on, supernatural things, or to other people, um, they're there to ridicule Jesus. And we've seen that, of course, in the earlier chapters. Some people can catch these and they're kind of like hidden, but they come alive to them. And that's to the ones who are really interested. To other people who are not interested, what these parables will do will make the story obscure. They won't get it. And so that's what Jesus is doing as he moves along here. And uh, so I think what distinguishes a true believer from somebody who says he's a believer, but he's really not, 
is that they have an interest in the eternal truths of God. They respond to truth. They desire it. They want that because they know this holds true for eternity. These are things that are very important. And of course, when Jesus teaches, uh, we should be at the edge of our seats, right? Now, Paul said it later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man, the one who is not converted, understands not the things of God. kind of goes along with these parables to the ones who have no interest, right? The natural man, the fleshly man, cannot understand the things of God. They are foolishness to him. But on the other hand, we who are spiritual, ones who uh, are true believers, have trusted in Christ, actually have the mind of Christ. Now, that's right out of 1 Corinthians 2. Either one really desires to know godly, eternal things, or they don't. And if it's a person that doesn't, he's a natural-minded person, he can't understand the mind of Christ. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear My voice. And they what? They follow Me. So that is something that we will see all throughout um, this Gospel of Mark. There will be people who respond to Him, and for the most part, most of them won't. There will be others who, who definitely won't. Last week we looked at the parable, and it's the parable of the parables. I mean, it's the king of the parables in the sense that it leads in to the understanding of all the other parables. If you get the first parable, then all the other ones will fall into place. They really, it really sets it up. And Jesus said that. I'm, I'm just not making an opinion thought. He had told that to disciples. Um, and if you don't get this, he told them, how are you going to get the rest of them? But later, he went and described it to them and gave them the depth of what um, that meant. And you remember, out of that parable of the soils, there were four soils. And three out of the four really are the ones who do not respond to Christ in an ultimate way. They're the ones who are not true. They didn't respond to the sower. They look like they did. And of course, there's the hard path, the hard ground. Uh, then there's the, the ground that has rock underneath where they, the seed actually goes into the ground, sprouts up, and then when the sun comes out, it's scorched and it immediately dies. So um, that's a problem there. It looked like they were believers, Jesus says, but they are not the ones. And then there's the kind that get hung up in the thorny soil. And they come up and are these are the joyful people and they're all just, you know, happy about uh, everything. They you know they're confessing Jesus Christ. And the thing is the riches of the world and all the different things that are out there, the trials and the tribulations get to them and guess what happens to them? They fall away too. They again are people who are not true. They look like it but are not. Then there's the one soil that is the good soil that actually will let the seed take root and you get fruit out of it. And it can multiply and and it can be a tremendous amount of harvest that comes out of it. And Jesus has been saying all along through here, so him or he who has ears, let him hear. It means... If you really are His, listen up. This is something checking out. Or, if you don't know if you're His or not, let Him who has ears, let Him hear. Right? So, so true. Um, Listen carefully, right? To the Word of God. It's not about me. 
This, this is the Word of God. And every week I've been saying, let's listen to Him today here. Let's let Him speak because this is His Word. This is what He did. And these are actually the, the red letter editions. <laughs> here, if you, have, if you have a red letter Bible, I don't have one. But, uh, and that isn't inspired. That was put on much later to, to help people know where these are the words of Jesus. But they're not any more inspired than the rest of the Bible. The whole Bible is inspired. Just, they're just helpful. Uh, to some people. Uh, So we really need to pay attention to this truth. That's why Jesus said, let him who has ears. To the believers, you have been granted to know the deep spiritual truths of all the ages. You've been granted to know that. To those who are checking this out, there it is. Have your ears Check it out. Listen to this. Is this really true? And if it's true, am I willing to put my life and bank my whole eternity on these truths that Jesus is just speaking about here? How does your heart respond to God? Is it the three soils? Or is it the one good soil? That's how we respond. Now, having established that, that's our foundation there, right? Established that. This is the context. This is the context as we go into this passage today. We had the first 20 verses of chapter 4 last week. Um, Unfortunately, we had to break, right? Because I went way over time last week. I won't tell you how long we went, but I'm sure you guys probably knew. What is it? But this time it's Mother's Day. And mothers get a bonus. They get an extra 10 minutes. I don't have a Mother's Day message today. I am sorry, but uh, we, we um, have you in our thoughts and our prayers. The reason I say that, we actually had a Mother's Day message Wednesday night that happened to be in First Peter chapter 3. And I said, this is our Mother's Day. So if you weren't here, you missed it. <laughs> and so, um, at any rate, we continue on because it's, it's just staying in context. That's what Scripture does. And I, uh, all week I was trying to say, okay, well, how, does, how do these... Parables here, how do they fit in with what we were dealing with last week? And the more you look at it, you say, well, it's automatic. Dennis, it, it just flows right out of the other one. And you'll see what I mean if you're asking, uh, what do I mean? Uh, maybe I'll get what it means, right? Hopefully, we'll get an understanding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And may we have ears to hear that we can understand your truths and respond to them and be the good soil that can multiply and be fruitful and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in uh, verse 21 is where we're starting here. Uh, We have three parables here. The lamp, the seed, and the mustard seed. And it's all related to where we were at Last week. Let's read verse 21 through 25. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to, By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. 
For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Well, there's a big impact here on listening, I believe. It really brings this out. And Jesus wanted them to pay attention. Listen, this is important. This could be eternity for you. It's hanging in the balance. So He brings out this axiom of the lamp. It's just a basic principle that anybody would understand today or 2,000 years ago. There's really no problem with understanding this. And what He does, as He uses parables, He uses common objects that everybody would know what they are. Even the the youngest child would even uh, understand this. He's speaking of a lamp, right? And he's also talking about a house and a lamp stand. So it's a very familiar scene. It's the home. It's where people live. And the lamp in Jesus' day was made of clay. And uh, it would hold the oil. And um, it was kind of like a terracotta. You know, you, you even see those today. People put plants in them and such. Uh, very similar. It would be, it'd be pretty small. Put the oil in there. Then you have a wick in it. And uh, the oil is lit. And now you have uh, the light for that house. Most of the houses were very, very small. And, uh, but but uh, it's important because if you don't have that lamp on, you have no light coming in. And, of course, they didn't have the windows and doors like we have today. And so uh, this, this uh, light is uh, very important. It only means a light at, at nighttime. And so we know that nobody would take uh, and light that lamp and then put it under what? A basket? Or under a bed? Nobody would do that. That would, that would just be absolute foolishness. It wouldn't make any sense. So everybody follows along with that, don't they? So here's the question the Lord poses. All right, Is a lamp brought into a house to be set under a basket or to be put under a bed? Of course not. Or is it, and this is what Jesus is putting forth, so that the the light may be seen by all in in that house, that it would be shed abroad in the whole household, which would be the greatest benefit? Well, that's obvious. And so the Lord is saying, if you've been given the light... You're supposed to take that light and do what? Remember that little kid song? Let it shine! Right there, I heard it right there. Before I even uh, finished asking the question, Penny had it. Let it shine. But that is so true. That's what it's about. Let it shine. Or if you want to go back to that metaphor that we were using in verses 1 through 20 in that parable, you've been given the seed and you're supposed to sow it. And of course, we think of that song, The Sower. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? All those little kids' songs really have a lot of depth, right? But uh, these, are, these are simple, but yet they are profound truths. And so this is what he sets up with. Easy? No problem. Now, the next thing I have in the outline is that the light of Christ is hidden to the outside. Now, you don't necessarily see that, but that's what's happening here, right? You have the light on the inside of the house, but outside you don't have those lamp posts. I don't think I really see those, at least in the pictures way back then in the time of Jesus. But um, at any rate, those who are outside, 
Jesus has already said, are going to get everything in parables. From now on, what I'm going to be teaching is going to be in parables so that while seeing, this comes from last week and many other passages, while seeing, they may see and not perceive and they may hear and not understand. Now that sounds interesting because here we have um, something on the outside and, and we spoke about that and took quite a bit of time on that, but that was verses 10 through 12 as he began teaching that parable to them. And that's a quote out of Isaiah. Jesus quoted the Bible. Can you believe that? He is the Bible, but he had given that word to Isaiah to speak. And we see it throughout the New Testament. That's uh, quoted often. And so this is what's happening here. Uh, These are the people that are past grace. They are past forgiveness. They are past believing. They've come up to the very ultimate revelation of who Jesus Christ is. They've seen His works. They've seen His person. They've heard His teaching. And yet they still deny Him. And matter of fact, who we're uh, really appealing to there are the religious leaders who said that He cast out demons by the very power of Satan. Right, he compared to uh, Beelzebub. Remember that? Jesus, right then and there, made a judgment on those religious leaders because they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. In the sense, what they had done is they had seen everything, heard everything that they needed to hear. Total light is all for salvation, and they rejected it. And uh, not only did they reject him, of course, they they said he was ruler of the demons. Imagine that, calling Jesus that. So Jesus cut them off from any further truth. Now they're going to hear Him speak, but they're not going to be able to really understand it. They're going to see some of the things that He does, but yet they're still not going to perceive. And that's a dangerous aspect. Um, We never know when that total light has been drawn or taken away from those people. As far as humans are concerned, we don't have to be concerned with that. We keep giving the light. Sometimes we can give up on people. But uh, as far as God is concerned, anything is possible. Everything is possible to Him. But we still continue to give light out or sow the seed regardless of what um, they may take Jesus as. But what He does is even in this time, there is a particular time when he withholds the truth. He withdraws it. Uh, he spoke to them in parables. The ones who are his are going to be able to understand. And that's what we talked about last week, but that should help us thinking, okay, there is the light and then there is darkness. If you look in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5, and in John 1 you have Jesus, Jesus, Uh, coming to earth and in verse 5 it says the light and of course the light is him it's been explained there the light shines in the darkness and he came to a very dark sinful world so the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it he later goes on to say in that same chapter that his own received him not. His own people, um, Israel, as a whole, did not trust in Christ as their Savior. 
a whole nation basically rejected him and his truth. They rejected his sacrifice. There were some. And then later on, many, as the apostles brought the gospel out. But as a whole, the nation rejected him. Now, if you look in John chapter 3, verse 19... The famous John 3, which talks about the new birth, remember? Born again. In 3.19, he explains this here also. This is the judgment that the light, and who's the light? It's Jesus, has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. They liked that. And that's what they stayed in. That's what they were. And they finally, you know, ultimately rejected Him. Their whole judgment there. That means He withheld the light from that generation of Jews in Galilee where He had been spreading this good news of the kingdom. They rejected Him and were beyond hope. And I can say that because Jesus said it. Once they get to that point, then that's it. He cuts it off. Well, what is hidden? Uh, we look back in our Mark 4, verse 22, For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that would come to light. And, and it is. It's coming to light. But to others, it's not uh, the light. They rejected the glorious Messiah. That is what is hidden. When He came on the scene, we know that He came as the king of the universe. But the king was born in a lowly stable. He lived a very, very humble life. Had a a very humble ministry. And we know the way that he died. So he limited himself being a human, coming to this earth and being like an ordinary man. Being God at the same time. And what happened is that he showed himself, as he is recorded here in Mark, this particular day in Mark 4, he's showing again who he is. And he wants people to recognize him, and many had rejected. Well, in verse 22 it says, For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Or nothing has been uh, secret, but that it would come to light. That's what Christ is about. If you have the light, then you're supposed to shine, right? So the implication is what? If you've been given the light, you need to let the light shine, and it needs to be put on a lampstand. Simple, right? It, and so He doesn't want it to be hidden. And so they would know, these uh, disciples and the apostles, that the light, the lampstand, all that's that's a metaphor. It's been used before. Jesus is bringing this truth forward, but it's been used before in the Old Testament. Psalm 119, 105. How many of you here know that one? What is it? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The light. Thy word. Of course, in John 1, 1, what does Jesus say? Well, John records it as, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. 
and then he goes on down to show that he is the one who is the light. He lit up the path. It's all there. This is who he is. He's come to earth, and he's saying, this is not to be hidden. 2,000 years later, the truth is still here. People have heard about Jesus. So many have heard. Now we wonder, as far as the disciples' minds are concerned, what are they thinking here? Okay, wait a minute. They've been told back in Mark 3, and Jesus didn't say in Mark 3 at the time, but as far as we're concerned, they've been told that the light was going to be withheld from certain ones. That was starting around verse 12, right? What were they supposed to do? Now He tells them that you're to give this light out. He is the light, right? And we only reflect the light. He's the sun, we're the moon in that sense. But yet, He says, ye are the light of the world. Because if we have Him in us, we are the light, right? Very simple. Um, So they're saying, okay, uh, light, but yet, concealed, hidden, what what are we to do? Are we to carry on the judgment by hiding everything? Or are we supposed to preach it? Just preach it. The Word will take effect on he who wants to hear it. So the plan is, this is God's plan, the light will shine, or the seed will be sown. See how they're so close together, light, seed, things that they are so familiar with. For the moment, a judgment has been rendered on some people But as we look a few chapters later, we're going to see there are other folks in other places all throughout Galilee, even later on in Judea. And He's going to go to them and some of those people are going to respond. And so the disciples are going to be doing that. They're not ready yet to go out to preach the Gospel. They are the light, but they're not ready. Jesus is training them. This is still early in the ministry, but He's telling them and making them aware you make sure that you always keep that light on. You have to cast that light out there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Verse 26 is pretty good too. Therefore do not fear them... For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. When I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Now, these are the twelve apostles that Jesus is speaking to. They're instructed and He says, you make sure that you go and proclaim it, that everybody that you speak it, they will understand this gospel truth. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. So, let's say 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Everything, right? Oh, wow. Hey, just threw that one in. Did you catch that? Do all things without... I mean everything without grumbling or disputing. 
So, why? Why? Why should we be that way? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach. What kind of generation are we living in? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Boy, is that the truth. Yeah. Among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, when He comes back, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. That's Paul speaking there. He says, you're living in a crooked and perverse generation. I mean, it's dark. I mean, you, all you have to do is look at the political realm. You got, I mean, it's not very hard to figure out what's happening. You know, it seems like the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, as they say. Well, it's been doing that for 6,000 years, ever since then. But the time that we live in just seems with its technology, it's doing things that are quicker and easier and more possible than ever before. And it's wicked and it's perverse. And man is evil and he's dead and he sins. But where's the light? The church. The believers. We're the light of the world. We have the truth. You know, we can solve all the problems in the world. You can say, my, how boastful you are, Dennis. The reason I can say that, no, I don't have the answers to little details and such and the economy and all sorts of things, but I do know this, that God has a plan. He's using all of this and He's making us trust in Him through some of the worst situations that could ever be in this world and even in our own individual lives to make us trust in His plan. And He's doing it perfectly. And that's a good thing to know to know about the sovereignty of God. And it's just put out here as clear as can be. If we would give them light, did you know that it would be possible if everybody was converted, what would happen in the political realm? That's what the key is. That's what we're to pray for our leaders. That's why we are to make an impact in our community, in our neighborhood, in the schools, at our workplace, in the family especially, because that's where it starts, and the family we know has... Going downhill very quick. I mean, I think it's like it's falling off. It's getting ready to hit the bottom. But we're lights. That's why I say we have the truth that can turn this around. But I'm not saying it's going to turn around because it can't. That's why Christ is going to have to come back. It's a mess. It's evil and it's wicked. It's sinful. And remember, we once came from that. 1 John 1, verse 13. Actually, I think I meant... Verse 3. That's not a 13, it's verse 3. I'm sorry. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Now this is John writing. He was an apostle, right? Remember that? He says, we proclaim. What we saw, what we heard. What's a witness? They tell what they saw, what they heard. That's simply what a witness is. They give a testimony. What they saw, what they heard. We proclaim to you also. Did they do it? Did John do it? We, the apostles, we 
Did that so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. So that's what they did. You can look at the book of Acts and see what happened. And, and through the course of history, the light has always been there. Anyway, we're called to do what the disciples were called to do. No difference. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Word of God. The Word of God and the Spirit, two together. That's what we have. That's our light. We have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness, and we have that message to give. So, as the church, we are the lampstand, aren't we? Remember in uh, Revelation, one of the church's lampstand was going to be taken out? Right? I'll remove that lampstand. I'll remove that light. There again, the church is that now. Um, The lamp had to use itself up. It had to burn the oil. It had to do it. The oil has to disappear. And you have to put some more in there. But that means to be burned. And that means we need to die to ourselves. Right? To die to self. That is so key. Uh, Some of you might remember Jim Elliott, that uh, famous missionary. And he died at a very early age. He was in his 20s. He uh, meditated on this verse that we're talking about here. He said this, He makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame. But flame is a transient, often short-lived thing. Can you bear this, my soul? Short life. In me there dwells the Spirit of God, he says. Did you know that Jim Elliot lived a very short life? But he went to those people who had never heard the Gospel. He was killed. They murdered him. But as a result, his wife and some other ladies and some other people came presented the Gospel in that whole place. Almost everybody there became believers. He set it up. Yeah, he died. He died to self. He died to self so much that he died physically. Went to be with the Lord. But Elizabeth Elliot, many of you are familiar with her, and others then were able to take the Gospel that he presented. And uh, what a change that made. So, um, back to our our Mark passage in Mark 4. And he says in verse 23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He keeps saying that. Take heed. Take heed how you listen. People really need to take heed. Eternity's at the door. I think Jesus is saying something very serious. This man made more impact on the earth than any other human being ever in the history of mankind. Right? Jesus. It's amazing that our calendar is still based on Him. A.D., B.C. Isn't that incredible? To an unbelieving world, for the most part, use that calendar. At least we do here in the Western world. I think this might be a serious statement. You better check this out. You better treasure the words of Jesus. Do you treasure the words of Jesus? Treasure them. Check it out, folks. So it gives a principle. Another common sense statement here. By 
Uh, Take care. What do you listen to? By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And more will be given you besides. If you've been given this to be able to understand, I'm going to give you more. And I'm just going to keep giving you more and more and more and more. It's just going to keep on. It's abundant. Hey, you will have abundant life. Jesus is still using the agricultural metaphors. Right? He's using the soil and and the seed and He comes back and and it's like... Plant that seed, right? If you sow that seed. God will give you back a return. When you sow the seed, if it's put in the ground, then it's going to produce. Okay? What you sow. The Lord will bless the seed. And so that's a promise. That is an absolute promise as Jesus is putting forth. It doesn't mean that all the seed that you put out there is going to take effect. But what you do put in there as far as salvation is concerned... God does bless. And He's the one that, of course, gives that life. And that's what He's going to get into in the next parable. Uh, Be faithful. Just sow the seed. God will be faithful to give a return. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Good, good old agricultural metaphor, but it has an abundant, fresh tr- truth there. And as we receive fresh truth from God's Word, and if you're in that Word, I will guarantee you, He will keep giving you fresh truth that you never even thought of. Matter of fact, not only that, it's not just for this right here in the head, but it becomes real in your life. You can be sure that God will give you more truths that you can live on. More promises that you will live out. That's the, that's the thought. And Jesus had said, Give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Abundant blessings. may not be talking necessarily physical blessings and those can be too he does he blesses us all the time you have food every day don't you isn't that amazing how it just keeps being there you just thought well, I, I thought it just well, just in the refrigerator you know it's in the cupboard you just pull it out right? blessings can come from people in this life they can bless you often God does that so it's in this life right here but there's also a spiritual blessing that goes into eternity. A future eternal blessing that will last forever. Our food will be eaten up. The material things that we have will burn up or whatever. We just get rid of them and replace them with other things. But when you give out the truth, there is now an eternal thing that has happened. And when you give then more understanding that you'll have as you are giving more truth more grace, more power, more joy, more satisfaction, more contentment. Where does all that come from? It can only come from God. More fulfillment. It's an abundant life. Regardless of the situation, it's an abundant life and it is going for eternal rewards. Really, And you can't outgive God. You've probably heard that, but... 
Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's an unqualified, unlimited promise. Do you want to know more about the Bible? you really want to know more about this God that is in here? Well, if you obey what little you know, God will give you more. If you obey that, He'll give you more. He keeps giving and giving and giving. But obedience is a key. Now, there's a contrast to this. Right? What, what you have will be even more multiplied, right? The contrast is, okay, whoever really doesn't have, even what he thinks he has <laughs> will be taken away from him. The pe- people that think they have it, but they don't have it, will find out that what they think they have, they will lose. <laughs> Did you follow that? <laughs> they actually think they have something. They really don't. And that will... It's, it, 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 they're not going to have anything. There are false disciples it's at the time of Jesus. False disciples during the apostolic age. There's been false apostles and deceitful teachers and workers associating with believers ever since there's been believers. They've always been there. Those people that look like they're real, and these are the people that are found in Matthew 7.21 where Jesus says, Lord, Lord, we did this and we did that. And He says, Depart from Me. I never, never knew You. I never had a relationship with You. I didn't know You. You don't know Me. These are people who make it look good on the outside. There's never been a change here. So, I think the question is, does He deal with us? What about that truth that He gives us? What are we going to do? Are we going to harden with what we've been given? Right? Are we going to make excuses? Are we going to be shallow? Do we desire other things more? The church needs fruit. The church needs fruit. The church needs lampstands, light, who will associate with these believers. Will we be the ones? Will we be the lampstand? Right? Or we just live for ourselves and let the world go to hell? Right? Now that's how serious it is because Jesus has said, better take care of what you hear. Now this is what Jesus has said. You better take care of what you hear. Now the next parable is right off of that, verse 26 through 29. And He was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who cast seed upon the soil. There we go again. He goes to bed at night, gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now he's saying, now these parables likely are spoken to the crowd here. They weren't necessarily explained to the crowd. But there's really no reason to explain this to the crowd. I mean, really, uh, the explanation isn't given because it really isn't necessary. It's there. Of course, the apostles, uh, the disciples, they're, they're, they're beginning to understand the big picture here. They have this whole paradigm, this whole plan, and, and where it's coming together. And I think the parable is very easy to understand, isn't it? 
That's why we're not going to spend a lot of time on it here this morning. Jesus mentions the kingdom, though. Okay, he says, I'm going to tell you something. Okay, listen to this. After saying those parables, the kingdom is like this. Okay? He takes that man, so and see. It almost sounds like that first parable that that, uh, we were checking out. Um, What are people thinking of when he says kingdom? The Roman Empire. That's who governs the world. The Jews are underneath them. They're slaves of them. Did you hear that? They were slaves of them. They want to get out from underneath this terrible, oppressing situation because of the situation they're in, because of the government. They hate the government and they would love for a king to come on and go and destroy them where they can have their own kingdom. That's what they're thinking. And that's totally wrong. He said, why not? they got Jesus. Man, they could do it. Not his point. His point is, I have a kingdom that's far above this kingdom. It's outside this world. Now, he's a king without a crown at this time. Right? He's a king without a throne. He's a king without a palace. He's a king without uh, an amazing monarchical following, uh, an entourage. Well, he does have an entourage. (laughs) Those fishermen and tax collectors some others. That's not the way a guy ought to come onto the scene. How can he be king and CEO with a bunch of guys that seem to be losers and you don't even look so hot yourself? (laughs) And he says, I'm going to tell you what the kingdom is about. Check this out. This is the king of the universe saying this. Wouldn't you want to know what the kingdom is? And so that's why he, he uses this kind of um, this thought now. He's going to say, okay, about this kingdom. He's already kind of presented who are the ones that uh, are, and they're the ones who listen and really want to follow him. And we have to have... We have to spread this out. We have to sow the seed and we have to turn on the light. There's going to be others. It's not just the 12 apostles and maybe the 120 and then that's it. You know? As far as the apostles are thinking, is it? This is us, right? Maybe a few others that kind of believe this. They couldn't perceive what Jesus had in mind. Now, it's 2,000 years later. The church is pretty big. Now, there's a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of fat on this church. And there's a lot of fake people in the body of Christ today. Or in the church, I mean, outwardly. But all we can do is give the truth. We can't change hearts. We can't produce life from dead people. Or anybody that's not a believer is a dead person. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says. That's only the Lord who can do that. No man comes to me except the Father who draws him. God is the one who gives the growth. We can't give it. We just sow the seed. Isn't that great? Our responsibility is just sow the seed, turn on the light. That's all we have to do because we cannot do it. We're not responsible for that. We're not expected to do it. We cannot do it. Just distribute it. And, you know, uh, it says here, we don't even know how it works. The farmer goes out, puts that out there. Well, yeah, he takes care of it. He puts it out there and it gives it water, uh, gives it fertilizer, all that help. But he, he really doesn't bring it to life. This was a dead thing that went into the ground, wasn't it? A seed is dead. I mean, as dead as can be. There was no life to it. All of a sudden, you put it in the ground, it comes to life. And you know what? Scientists to this day really can't bring an explanation to that. 
Because if you don't know who is the life, how can you say where life came from? They don't know where life came from. They say it came from a blob that wasn't life. Life came out of non-life. No, life came from the life, right? Same way with the seed. It's an amazing thing. You know, and if you, if you planted uh, grass seed or you, you planted well, tomatoes or whatever you might plant, have a little garden or whatever, we know. We expect a return on that. Unless it gets real, real dry, like last year, and the return wasn't so great. That's kind of what goes with it. But as far as these spiritual truths, we just don't know how it works. The wind blows where it may, Jesus said in John 3. I mean, you know, people are born again and we really, outside of just planting seed, don't have anything to do with it. He's the one who gives the life. We wait. We can't bring the harvest, right? And it says in verse 27, he goes to bed at night, gets up by day, and the seed sprouts. Well, it's not just, hey, plant it one day the next day, but what he's saying, no, that he just waits. He's really patient. He has to endure. Um, farmer plants a seed, goes to bed, or he waits for the harvest, not responsible for what happens. He's done what he's supposed to do. Um, spiritual growth cannot be measured by a stopwatch. <laughs> it's not seconds. It's not minutes. It's not hours. It's not even days or months. It can be over a long, extended period of time. It's planted in an instance, instant, but its growth is going to become apparent over the passing of time. Faithfulness. So out of this dying seed, it's amazing, comes life. A dying, dead seed. And there you have the power of life that is arisen. And it doesn't stop growing until it's harvested. Of course, we take this not only to being born again, but then all through our our life uh, as Christians, we recognize that there is growth. He works in us. Well, we work it out, Philippians 2 says. You know what the harvest is? The harvest not only is our own life or, or one who becomes born again, but I think the harvest is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not only for right now, but for all the ones who are going to be later and all our brothers and sisters who form this magnificent, amazing fellowship that is going to be in eternity and you're going to be meeting people who are your brothers and sisters who you don't know now and you will know them thoroughly at that time. Now that's a harvest, isn't it? God knows exactly when that harvest is going to be. Forever and ever we will enjoy the harvest. You will continue to partake of that harvest. You will eat of that harvest. Isn't that good to know? It's not ever going to run out. What He has planted, what He has sowed, will be forever. Amazing. And then there's one other parable. The mustard seed. Who hasn't heard of the mustard seed parable? Right? And I, I would have, if there had been a local Christian bookstore, if somebody would have kept some store around here, I would have gone there and picked up a mustard seed. I knew the guy that sold those. But uh, there, they even had them in jewelry and all sorts of different things and little earrings and I think they had them in just a little pin. And you could barely see those. I, I don't have one to show you because of that. And if I did, you probably couldn't see it anyway. Just, I can't even... I can't make it small enough. 
Okay. Okay, and disciples, what are they doing? They're wondering. Okay. It's it's us. Us four. No more. Shut the door. <laughs> right? It's a little small thing. I mean, this is not a big deal. You got this guy. It is. I mean, the crowds are big and everything, but where's this thing going? They're thinking, okay. And they still thought, too, along with other people, he's going to bring on the kingdom by beating the Roman Empire. You know, they're still confused over all this. What's going to be the outcome? And Jesus gives an illustration. He doesn't have to fill them in with all this information, but he's telling that the kingdom is going to grow, it's going to take time, but there will be a harvest. And he says, okay. It's like a mustard seed. Verse 30. He said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Okay, let, let's picture this. I want you guys to catch this. Okay? Over what parable shall we present? Well, by a seed, of course, right? So he goes to the smallest seed. It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants, and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Finishing up here, last one. Speaking of seeds, Jesus uses the smallest that they use that they're familiar with there in Israel. Yes, there were actually seeds that would actually be a seed that would be smaller than the mustard seed. The mustard seed is very small. But this is what they used there. This is what they were familiar with and what they they planted. And that's why he used this. It's not a scientific statement that he's making saying this is the smallest seed that will ever be. This is this is it. Uh, that's not the science in this. This is a parable anyway, but he's taken something that they would know. And a lot of people say, see, the Bible's not inspired because Jesus doesn't even know his signs. <laughs> that's ridiculous, isn't it? Of course he is. I mean, he is science. He is the knowledge. This is insignificant, it seems like. Twelve disciples, Jesus, going to expand to Sidon and Tyre, right? Yeah. But a lot further. It's going to expand to Rome. It's going to expand to the east, west, north, and south. All over the world, this thing is going to be taken, and there's going to be believers everywhere, all across the world. Up in Siberia, and Machu Picchu, and uh, to the pygmies that are down in what Australia. Or I mean, you name it, and it's going to be taken there. Quite incredible. Mustard seed used in Israel, and he's saying, okay, this small seed, in its most humble way, is going to turn out to be huge. This is what he's saying to them. There's a principle here. We've seen the kingdom expand, haven't we? We've seen it through history, reading through books or the book of Acts. And it goes to the ends of the earth. That's a marvelous thing. And it's still here seems so tiny at first. It's microscopic. Nobody else knows about it outside of Israel there. Where is it going to go? And the church grows throughout the ages. It grows and it grows. There is this one verse that speaks about the birds of the air can nest under its shade. There's a little actually different 
thoughts on this. And I always kind of understood for the longest time that the birds are uh, evil things or dealing with Satan and demons or false believers who get into that tree. And that could very well be true. It grows and it grows big. It's huge. But there are many who are in the church that are not real. So I, I took it that way and I would still say that could be a possibility. Many commentators will give you that. Uh, in Ezekiel 17, and we're just running out of time. I don't have time to turn there. But in Ezekiel 17, you have a Messianic prophecy. Under the rule of Messiah, nations will come to salvation. And the nations are pictured as birds coming to lodge in that tree of blessing. So maybe Mark is borrowing from that imagery. Maybe that's what it is. It's the nations that are coming there. Not only individuals, but you'll have nations. And of course, uh, you see nations uh, included in other Old Testament passages and in the New Testament where you have the healing of the nations. The nations of the of the world will be part of this. You will still have that, even though they're all equal. Nebuchadnezzar viewed his, viewed his kingdom as God humbled him. And, of course, whenever he was given a dream, viewed his kingdom and the birds that were in it were all the other nations that would represent the people and nations under his rule. God humbled him, we know, but I think it's pretty staggering stuff. I think this is amazing. Jesus is telling them, this is what's going to happen to this. You know, people start out businesses and organizations with great dreams and they're going to expand and they're going to get on the internet and it's going to grow from Jeff City to all of Missouri and they're going to have 20 stores in Missouri and it's going to expand out and go out to the United States and it'll go worldwide and it'll be everywhere. I mean, it's in the universe. I mean, just, you know, people have high hopes and sometimes that can happen, right? But um, this, this church exist it's real and it won't burn up it will continue through eternity so there's a parable for the church in this and also for the individual as we close up here what's the greatest privilege of a Christian to know the truth right I mean it's to glorify God but how can you glorify God without knowing the truth and so that's why we're here today. Here for we're here to learn more truths, so we can glorify God in a bigger capacity. That's what it's about. And it's all Jesus speaking here. We're getting it from Him, and the Holy Spirit is magnifying that on our hearts, and we get a more magnificent view of the God of this universe. What's distinguishing mark of a Christian? They seek after truth. And when you get that truth, you know what they want to do with it? Live it and give it. So you receive it, you live it, you give it. You receive it, you live it, you give it. And just constant, that's the way it works for an individual Christian and his growth. He started out as a Christian without any knowledge, much at all. And God caused the growth. And if you look at yourself, if you've been a Christian for a year, two years, five years, ten years, you look back and you say, well, it certainly wasn't me who did that. I know where I came from. You start looking 20 years ago. So look what God did to me. Look where He's brought me 30 years ago. Some of you have been Christians that long. You obey the truth, God will give you more. So with uh, many such parables, He's speaking the Word, so as far as they were able to hear it, He didn't speak to them without a parable. 
but he's explaining privately to his own disciples. So we're back where we started again. You know what he's doing? He's explaining more specifically to us what his plan is right in this word, even though it's 2,000 years ago. Is it fresh to you today, right here in May 2013? What an incredible God. Let's pray. Father, you are the light of the world. You are the sower, as you have sowed the seed in our hearts. You have shed your light abroad into our lives. It's the truth of the universe, the truth of the ages. We're not exaggerating anything. As we look at your word, we recognize that you are the one that everything is about. Lord, humble us even more so that we'd see even a greater, glorious, splendid God, a God of majesty, and a God that we want to bow down to and say, Lord, whatever Your will is, please let me know. And I know You do that. And that we would do that, for that is how we honor You, and that is how our light shines. Most people will reject that light as they rejected the light of You and crucified You. But because of that crucifixion, that is the reason we too now have life and abundant. Lord, bless this Word today as it goes out that this seed would take root and make all of us grow even more as we look to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.